back. We are here. ¿Cómo están? Uh, on my end, just feeling a little tired. I have a few things to work on for, for my dissertation, but excited to be here, excited to, to be recording with you all. Uh, Miriam, how are you? I am, I am very glad to be here. <laughs> We're very glad to have you again with us. Um, and today we have a very special guest. We have a very special topic to discuss. So I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, I'm Christine Zimmerly, and I'm a woman in long-term recovery from substance use disorder. And I'm here to talk about the work we do at Project Proyecto Sanaremos in the Northeast El Paso, which is a part of the El Paso Recovery Alliance. Thank you so much for, for being here, Christine. And just so that we can get our conversation started, why did you choose this line of work? And, you know, what have been some of those moments where you have felt like this is the place where, where I'm meant to be? Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, I think when I heard about recovery support services, it was something that Uh, I just, I, I, I heard that it was a calling for me and I had been in recovery for a few years and I heard that I could help people like myself, you know, who were struggling with substance use disorder, who were on the street, who didn't know where to go, that I could work at a center where there was 24 hour support for people Uh, with substance use disorders, and um, to me, that was just, it, it was it was like a calling. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and being so vulnerable with us about, you know, this type of work. I think it takes a lot. What, I, I want to learn more about, you know, that experience of being in practice and understanding the needs of, of those in the community you know, serving the El Paso community specifically, what are those, what, what have been those experiences for you? Well, peer support uh, is a special line of work because we have lived experience as peers uh, with the challenges that the people we are serving are facing. And there's something that is so comforting about Uh, the authenticity of the profession. Um, when someone comes in the room for a conversation, and, you know, we have recovery support services in our centers and also in our recovery uh, living spaces that are offered weekly or biweekly or monthly, whatever the person, because it's person-centered, would like to receive When they walk in the room to have a conversation, they know they're walking in to speak with someone they under that understands mm -hmm. the pain. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think what I what I hear from you is, you know, when these uh, individuals come to to this space, they just want to be able to ha have that kind of connection and find that support. Uh, in there, you mentioned uh, kind of person-based or person-centered. Can you uh, expand on that idea? What is that? What does it mean? Person-centered is 
focusing on the needs of the person that you're working with. It's, uh, I'm not going to give a directive to anyone. I might offer some suggestions if a question is asked, but most of the people that we work with have within them their own goals, and no one is more of an expert on anyone than themselves. So what am I willing to do? What would I like to achieve? And how am I going to get there? Those are things that if I have a conversation, and typically we use motivational interviewing in conversations with someone, they'll be able to answer for themselves. And when the answer comes from the person you're talking with, it's a lot more powerful than when you give it to them. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that, you know, coming to a place where you want to be of support rather than telling a person what, you know, they need is very empowering for that individual coming for that support. And I think that's where that peer support comes in, right? You're not necessarily telling them, I know what is best for you, but I'm here to lend you a hand so that we can walk together in this journey. Is, am I on the right track? Absolutely. Yeah. In this work, um, how long have you been doing this type of work? I have been working for Project Punta Partida since June of 2019 when the center on, at 1201 Yandel opened. So a couple of years already. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit more about what are the experiences that you've had serving the community um, of El Paso? Like, what are the needs that you've seen um, that you as a peer recovery have, you know, helped uh, address because of the work that you do, because of the level of uh, um, accompanying people in this journey? All kinds of different things. We do outreach where we go onto the street or to community organizations to talk about the kind of work that we do. We do in-reach, which is in jail. So we'll go into the jail and offer recovery support services to people in the jail. And um, we offer services within our center. And then we have recovery housing, uh, medication-assisted treatment program, a women's house, a men's house, um, a facility that is extends past that that's sober living and um i there isn't i don't think i don't think there there's really a limit to the need there there's a greater need within our community than than we can possibly serve at this time we have people waiting every day to get a bed at a detox center and detox is necessary for certain types of substances before you can go into the recovery house. We have a waiting list at the recovery houses. There isn't enough space in the recovery houses for the people who need to receive the services. And there aren't enough beds at the detox center. Uh, if someone has insurance, you can typically find a bed somewhere for detox. Mm -hmm. Most of the people we serve don't have insurance. Most of them are unhomed, on the street, uh, with no identification. And 
some of them are not even citizens. So we do what we can to offer help to people who are not receiving services at all and don't qualify for programs in other areas. So the work that you do really does serve like one of the most vulnerable populations that we have here in El Paso, those that really don't have other ways of accessing these type of services. Um, what are some of the um, experiences that you've had sharing or doing this work in the community that you would like to share with us? We have seen, I have personally seen successes and I've seen um, areas for improvement. So um, some successes would be like the example of someone coming into the center and from the street and getting connected with services. We do provide you know, referrals, warm handoffs. We'll go with someone to the appointments if they don't want to go by themselves, getting them identification, putting them in a house, seeing them get housing, and, and, um, and seeing them get a job or work and uh, get into, into their own, you know, rhythm of things where they're no longer using substances and active in recovery community and have found their pathway where they're living a, a healthier lifestyle. I've seen that many times. And I've also seen staff be overworked, not enough hours to reach out to people. Um, not, the person coming in not having access to a telephone and getting lost on the street and not being able to reach them for their appointment with housing because they're on the street and, and uh, we are unable to communicate with them. Uh, I've seen the facility close because of illness, because we've had so many people sick. Of course, I think we've all seen that within recent years. Uh, and, you know, I've seen, I've seen so many different things. The biggest, the biggest successes um, are wonderful to watch. And uh, the places where I see that we could stand to improve, not only as an organization, but as a community, are like when, when I've seen participants die from fentanyl overdose, when I've seen someone not come back and walk in off the street six months later and not even recognize anyone in the building, even though we all know their name. But it takes us like 15 minutes to recognize them because they've changed so much from the weathering and, and the conditions on the street. That's a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot. And... I think with it being a lot, I think it's still important to talk about it and to understand the severity of this kind of topic. So again, thank you so much for, for speaking about it and coming and, and letting us know a little bit more about this area. And I think, you know, it, it takes a lot of resiliency 
to a lot of resiliency, a lot of empathy and compassion to be able to work in this kind of field because it's the ability to bounce back, right? The ability mm. to be able to move forward, understand that there's a lot of systemic issues that contribute to, to this issue, but this issue is in then reflected in the lives of these people, right? So we can, we can talk about policies, we can talk about practices, we can talk about all these different things, but at the end of the day, it's the lives of people who are affected. And I'm curious to know, you know, how, how do we, how, how does someone who may be experiencing or have a loved one who is going through substance use, how can, what would you say to them in terms of supporting them or, or helping them or, or helping themselves? Like whatever perspective you want to take, right? Because you could definitely take it different ways. What would you say to this person? Um, because as you mentioned, we are a community. So as a community, how can we help each other out? So for families of um, those with substance use disorder that are actively using, we do have family support. And uh, we offer that whether or not the family member is receiving services. It's just a community service that we provide for anyone who needs that support. For individuals, get a recovery coach. Harm reduction saves lives. Come in for a bag of food and we'll talk to you. It doesn't have to go further than that, but we can offer uh, an ear to listen and uh, possibly more support than that if anyone is willing to accept the help. And the help we give, we have harm reduction supplies. We have, um, I mentioned the food bags. We also have Narcan, we ha which is the um, opioid overdose medication uh, that we can give to people who need it. We have uh, wound care kits, feminine hygiene kits, hygiene kits, uh, bleach kits, and uh, safer sex kits. We give these out to anyone who comes in and asks for them at no charge. Anytime they ask, we don't require anything in return. We, we will ask if you sign in, but it, we'll still give it to you if you're unwilling to sign in. So please come by. Mm -hmm. Um, in talking about the types of services that you provide and how can someone, you know, start, um, you know, a conversation or just, you know, access to your services, you mentioned harm reduction. Um, and then you gave, you know, several um, examples maybe about what harm reduction looks like, safer sex, um, you know, first aid kit. Can you explain a little bit more about how, what harm reduction is? How does it look in the, in the work that you do? Harm reduction is meeting people where they are at. It's no expectations. It's I recognize that someone on the street might like a glass of water and a meal. And if that's all they want, that's what I'll give to them. Um, harm reduction doesn't make requirements. We just want people to stay alive because your lives matter. 
I think these go back to the discussion that we had previously about people-centered. Um, when you look at the person with, you know, the autonomy, the dignity that they have, and you say, I'm here for you to walk with you. You tell me what you need. You tell me what are the answers that you're looking for. Then harm reduction makes a lot of sense as a, you know, as a framework for work. There are so many pathways to uh, change and reducing the harm that's being caused is a really great first step for every change if unhealthy behaviors are involved. I, I think uh, one, one thing that stood out to me right now is the fact that you said that change can have many different phases right? Many different interpretations. And uh, that leaves room for something like hope, right? That doesn't have to be this straight trajectory of, okay, I know that I may need help and I'm going to go have, I'm going to go get help. From point A to point B, there's so many things that could happen there. Or there could be so many uh, ways of getting to that help. And it's okay to have all these trajectories, just as long as you are hopeful and, and, and you have the resiliency to, to move forward, right? And, and to get the help that is needed. And, and I, I keep on going back to that person-centered, but I go back to it because I think it's important as a community, again, to practice that empathy and that kindness to everyone. And so I want to bring to the table the idea of first-person language. Uh, get your thoughts on it. Is it important? Is this a way to, in a way, help individuals humanize their experience? Um, is it, would you push back when uh, describing someone as a drug addict, right? Or rather saying something different, right? You reacted to that because um, that's not first-person language, right? So I want to hear about it. Like, I want to hear from you and, and talk about it. Why is it important to adopt it? A person who uses substances is still a person first. Mm -hmm. That's all. Mm -hmm. It's not about the substance. And I think a lot of stigmatizing behaviors and language make it about the substance or even the behavior that's caused by the substance use. It's a disease. And the person who is suffering, as much as whatever damage they may cause in their addiction to others, is also suffering and damaging themselves as much. And they're worthy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of help. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And, and I think this is why it's so important. Because there's, I think people go on in life, not everyone, and it's not necessarily always done on purpose, but they just kind of say it without understanding the impact it can have on an individual. And talking about first-person lang first languages, this person is a person. They have feelings. They have experience. They have loved ones. And 
I think it's important to know that our words can make a difference in the lives of people and that um, the way we approach individuals is important. And so instead of using such um, a phrase like I used previously, it's someone that is experiencing some substance use. Substance use, is that, would, would that be the, the, the most appropriate way of saying it? Or how would you... How would you? A person who uses substances, okay. a person who's, who experiences substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always person first. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. it's because it's, a, it's about the person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And drug addict, it makes it about the drug. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's already enough to know, right? The difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so just so that we can continue adopting these things, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding that a simple switch to our language can make a big difference. Very true. <laughs> I think it reinforces what you have been mentioning, Ale, previously, you know, that compassion, that, um, you know, recognizing the humanity in others and like the journey of others and the pain and the experiences, the lived experiences that they've had when you recognize the person before anything else. Because everything else talks about their experience of life, but that is, you know, what happened to that person, not necessarily what defines them entirely or what you know, their identity is reduced to. Um, It also, I think, brings um, a space for, you know, a safe space that maybe, you know, you can, by, by being mindful and by being very conscious of how we express ourselves and how we talk about people with substance use disorders, um, we, we can generate you know, um, a level of safe space where they can maybe feel comfortable and, you know, accepting that glass of water or, you know, walking in and accepting services or requesting services, whatever it is that they're looking for or that they need at that moment. I think the connection and the conversation and just of meeting someone where they are when they walk through the door is, you know, the most important thing. And there's just so much, there's so much pain and there's so much harm and there's so much stigma around, um, incarceration, mm-hmm. formerly incarcerated, uh, s- substance use, uh, even sex work. Mm-hmm. It's, there's just so much harm in the word. And what what we want to do is help. Mm-hmm. We just want to If we're alive, we still have a chance. And so our goal as a harm reduction 
Center and Recovery Support Center is to keep people alive and to help them to see what it is they would like to change, if anything, uh, if possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hopefully we're helping. I'm sure you are. I think you definitely are, Christine. Um, and I know I've said this before, Christine, but honestly, thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. You can tell that this is a really um, meaningful uh, work. And I think it's not even necessarily just a work, but like you said, a calling. Mm-hmm. And it has both personal and professional influences in you. It is a topic that can be heavy, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be talked about. And that doesn't mean that what you're talking about should be hidden because mm-hmm. it's heavy. On the other hand, these are experiences that should be highlighted. Go on. I was just thinking about, you know, talking about it. And uh, in my office, we were discussing that the other day. It was just, I'm grateful because when I was in active addiction, a peer came to me and helped me. Mm-hmm. And through 27 years of active addiction, I wasn't able to make a change. Because of that, you know, I'm where I am today, which I get like, I get, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really close to my heart, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this is my lived experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am a state certified peer recovery support specialist. Mm-hmm a peer specialist supervisor, a reentry specialist. I'm certified through the state. I am able to function and complete sentences today, and that's something that I never thought really uh, I would be able to do again. If I can sit with... Um, anyone and tell them just even a little of my story and it makes them it gives them a little bit of hope I'm gonna do it but too many people are too afraid to come forward they're too afraid to say I'm that guy I am that homeless person. I am that incarcerated person. I am that person struggling on the street. And and that isn't me today, but I was that person. And if no one gave me a chance, I would not ever have been able to get to the position I'm in today. So I encourage anyone to speak out, anyone who is willing to speak out. And if you are out there and you need help, please come forward. That's what I, that's what I say to people. Please come forward. 
because you're not alone. You don't have to walk it alone. And um, that's it, I guess. Yeah. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you're here and that you shared all of your experience with us. I think we're all better because of it. I think, do you want your hand back? <laughs> <laughs> if you want it back, I, I can give it to you. I can, I can. Thank you for offering. <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> you don't have control of, unfortunately, right? You know, you would like to have control of everyone being able to go get help and, and, and get the, the necessary resources and, you know, because it, it works, right? You know it works. I, I just hope that you know that all the things that you are doing is enough. All the things, all the experiences, you because you're Christine, not you because you do all these things, but just simply because you're Christine and you care and you love and you experience and you learn, right? And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow those experiences that other people go through because you just kind of want to blanket them and just say it's going to be okay. Uh, and... That's because of the kind of human that you are. Um, I just want you to know that what you do is enough. What you do matters. What you do is impactful. And the, the fact that you're coming here and talking about it to us, two strangers that you just met like 30 minutes ago, right? <laughs> um, it just speaks of that vulnerability and that transparency that you want to give to not just us, in this room, but everyone else. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it just takes a little bit of that courage to be able to then start. It's like a little domino effect, <laughs> right? It's a little domino effect that, that, that will create ripples of meaningful change. Um, and I, I, I guess I'm wondering, like, before coming here, what, what were you thinking that this process was going to be like? I didn't have any idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. I didn't have any idea. <laughs> I thought maybe I should have looked into it more. But yeah. uh, it's okay. Right? That's <laughs> you end up coming here and you talk. And is there something that we possibly haven't spoken about that you would like to highlight? We need more Narcan. We need more people to have more Narcan. It's, you know, life-saving opioid overdose reversal medication. If you don't know how to use it, I'll give you a training. <laughs> we do train in our center, but we need more. We don't have enough right now. And people are dying. Uh, children and people who make one choice and and people who have been addicted for years because there's fentanyl and now car fentanyl in our area and uh you know heroin and and other uh drugs i i just it will reverse an opioid overdose and we don't have enough our phone number is 915-262-0002. Put that in there. Yeah. That's our phone number. <laughs> referrals at recoveryalliance.net. Send us referrals. Yes. 
Well, we just, um, you know, we need more Narcan. We are working on getting more sources for that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we do have some grant funding for it, but it's very expensive medication, and it, it can save a life. And most of the people who administer it are people on the street like you and me and someone who happens to be in the room. An overdose happens very quickly, a death from an overdose very quickly after that. And uh, so don't use alone if you're using and have Narcan with you in your pairs or in your groups. You mentioned training. Mm -hmm. Can anyone be trained? Absolutely. What does, what does that entail, that training? It entails either two or four hours of your time and willingness to either arrive on uh, a Zoom meeting. I could train somebody on Zoom or in the center for the training. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, before we, we leave, I just want to highlight just how the difference in, in the way I see you right now, the way you carry right now when you came in, you, you looked, you didn't know what to expect, right? And, and after this conversation, <laughs> the giggles, right? <laughs> and now, you know, having heard about what you do and you haven't been, have it like, sorry, I can't speak today. Um, just being able to talk, I, I see a difference. And I see, you know, that confidence that I, you know, you that I know you carry with yourself, um, and it's you're getting the giggles again, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just see the difference, and and I think that's important to note. Um, thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Um, this is again a very important topic to cover, and it doesn't. It's not anyone, not just anyone, can do this. And so I think you were the perfect person to come into the space and share with us your experience, both personally and professionally. I agree. Thank you so much for giving us a chance. Um, even though it was unknown and you were, you know, really not sure what to expect. <laughs> um, but you have been a wonderful guest. You have provided us with wonderful information. And, you know, we hope to see you again, maybe. Uh, did we not do a good job, Christine? Just kidding. So for you, you to say yes, great job. Come on. Like, uh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> also, come by and see me. My office is at 8500 Dyer, Suite 34. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for that, all of that information. Um, and for those of you who are, you know, seeing us, just a reminder to just simply be kind. Be kind. Be empathetic. Um, be there of support. No judgment. First person language, I am a strong advocate for it. Um, just describe the person, right? Like be the, see the person and, and instead of judging the, the behavior that goes a long, long, long way. Um, but thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for, for sharing some of your time with us. Maybe I'm not too sure if you have some parting messages. Um, thank you for staying. And I hope that you took something from this conversation. I'm sure you did. Um, we hope to see you in this next episode. And thanks again. See ya. Thank you. <laughs>